Hey, James chapter 4, I promise our deacons I will not give as long of a message this afternoon as my report was to you uh, earlier today. Some of you who were deacons meeting thought we'd never get out of there by the time I got through with my report. So my sermon's not quite that long, but I do think that the message tonight really speaks to us as it, as it always does. I mean, it, it is so practical to us in the way we approach the book of James. James is like this homily. It's not really a letter. It's kind of like a letter. It's, it's not like the others. It's more like a sermon. It's more like a message of where he brings all these different ideas together. He has some common themes. You see that through his book. But you see him being very practical in his application to his readers. One of the reasons I, I love to be able to work through a book or a passage over some time is so that you can see that context. You can hear some of the same themes. I think it's so important for us to understand the scripture in its context, right? I mean, people use scripture all the time, often out of its context. But I was reminded when I was in college years ago that that is not acceptable even if we're using it for good. Remember, scripture out of its context, I mean, when, when you try to understand it, you're not really going to ever find the true meaning of it. Not really. What God wants to say to you. And I would say to you that there are a lot of people that quote scripture that never use the context. We also call those groups cults, right? It is important to look at the scripture. And one of the reasons I like the expository preaching through a book, and that's the reason I'm so proud that some of the other guys have been able to tag team with me on Sunday night, and they've been able to help you see those different themes as you see that there is something that a continued message throughout and over the last few weeks, we've talked a little bit about selfishness and inner strife and how our own desires will, will disrupt the peace or the unity of the church. We've talked about that. Last week, I think, has been uh, addressed with you all about, or maybe it was a couple weeks ago, I guess. Last week was Father's Day. But a couple weeks ago, he talked with you about how the friendship with the world, really it sets you in opposition to God himself. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. That's what James is saying. So tonight, based upon what he's talked about, based upon the humility that he's called for, based upon purity in one's life, he just lays it out there with these imperatives. I call these the imperatives for the believer. Because in these verses, verses 7 through 10 of chapter 4, it's like these commands that are just given. They're practical commands. And it's given in like a staccato type of way. It's like boom, 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 boom. Like it's just laid out there for you. Listen to it, if you will. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. In those verses, do you hear this? Like, it's just like this fast-paced like command, like imperative, like submit, resist, draw, cleanse, lament, mourn. It's just like you are hit with all of these commands, these practical applications for your life. He's been building the case for it. And now he says, this is the way you apply it. Again, see, that's the reason I think as we look at the context of scripture always and try to follow the model of James, we, we bring the message of what it says. And then we give practical application. I've always thought in our 
preaching and our teaching, we need scholarship to understand what is being said, but we also need practical application for those who are hearing the word so that they can go back and utilize it in their lives. In so many ways, when you are teaching a Sunday school class or when you're, in my case, preaching, you want to make sure that you are modeling good Bible study for people, but you want them to know that Bible study in and of itself achieves nothing. Bible study leads us to action. It leads us to practice, right? It's, it's not trying to find out how much Bible knowledge we can accumulate. It is how that Bible knowledge affects us every day in our lives, how we apply it to who we are. And again, here you have these just practical applications, these commands, these imperatives that are given to you. In so many ways, when I read this, I thought about those instructions or those, I guess you could say, commands that teachers used to have that they would post on the wall. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when you walked in their class, these were like, this was like a code of conduct. These were things that you had to make sure that you practiced. I asked Leslie, I'm married to a teacher. You all knew that, right? Married to a teacher. So I said, Leslie, do you still have those things like that we had when we were younger, you know, like the rules for the classroom behavior and all of that? She said, yeah, I've got some of those. And so she, uh, she sent me some like treat others the way you want to be treated, right? Do your best work all the time. Raise your hand to speak. I remember that one. That one hasn't changed all these years, has it? Keep hands, feet, and all other objects to yourself. That one hasn't changed either. And a lot of you just laughed in conviction because you broke that rule many, many times. Follow the rules of the contract in the handbook and motto. I promise to be respectful. I promise to respect myself and others by being fair and honest and all that I do. And there are some more. There obviously, you remember some of those rules, right? Just practical application when you walked in. Well, it's kind of like James is saying, okay, I've taken you into the classroom. And I've tried to give you instruction. I've provided for you scholarship. But also, there are some things that you need to make sure that you're doing. There's a code of conduct. That goes along with that study. So look at these. And I'm just going to work through them. Hopefully as quickly as possible for you tonight. But hopefully in a meaningful way. That will hope that will bring conviction to all of us in this place. And help us as we relate to him in a better way. So again, look at the first imperative. Submit to God. Therefore, submit to God. I always read those passages and I think to myself, why do you have to tell believers that? Remember, he's writing to believers. I mean, he's not talking to unbelievers at this point. He's not trying to evangelize people. He's all about the gospel. I believe that. But James is writing specifically to believers. Most of the New Testament, when we, when we read the letters in particular, they are written toward believers. And often you hear things like this, submit to God. And again, I ask myself, why do you have to tell believers that? Why do they have to go over and over and over this same theme of submitting to God? Because you and I, as believers, oftentimes what we want to do is take control. We want to take 
possession of our lives back away from God and make the decisions that we want to make. So let me try to flesh this out just a moment. When you come and accept Christ as your Savior, you accept Him as your Lord as well. You've heard me talk about that, right? At that moment, when you say, I want to accept Jesus as Savior, you're also saying that you want to accept Him as Lord. The earliest confession of faith in the church, the earliest confession of faith was, Jesus is Lord. Go back and look at it. Before people were baptized, before they were placed under the water, people had to confess, Jesus is Lord. What did that basically mean? It meant we believe Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. We believe he is the Lord, he is the King. And while so many in the Roman Empire would ascribe lordship to the emperor, Christians would say, no, our Lord is not the emperor. Our Lord, our boss, our king is Jesus. That's what we believe. And the lordship of Christ is a doctrine that is not taught as much today, I think, in our churches, as much as it should be. But it was a doctrine for years and years that we as Southern Baptists would ascribe to. We would talk about the lordship of Christ. And what did we mean by that? We meant that Jesus was Lord. That is, he is boss. He is, he is the governing authority. He is the emperor. He is the king over everything that we are, over the entirety of our being. Jesus is Lord. But this is what I found in life, that I make that initial confession of lordship, and I'm saved. I don't have to worry about my position any longer. I know I'm a child of God. But there are days when I wrestle with him over who is the boss. Could I just be honest with you tonight? I may have to get into testimonial time. But there are days when I wrestle, when I struggle. Oh, Theologically, I know that Jesus is Lord. Biblically, I know he is the boss. And I would confess to you, if you were to ask me, I'd say, yes, Jesus is Lord. But practically speaking, I begin to struggle with him and wrestle with him in different areas of my life. Because it's okay when I confess Jesus' lordship over my church life. When I come here with you all and sing, it is so easy to confess that Jesus is Lord. Especially when Jeremy makes us sing it, right? He is Lord. To confess that is so easy. But it's another thing each day to submit to that Lordship. To submit to him as the boss. Because I still have an old nature. Now, God's doing a work in me. Did you hear that? You can hope for better one day. God is doing a work in me. He's transforming me. He's speaking. I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I was. But I have an old nature in me. It's a sinful nature. Every day I pray for the new nature to take more of me and who I am and that the Lord himself would show that new nature in my life. 
But I have a little bit of that old nature where I like to control different aspects. But for you and I as believers, God wants all of who we are. He wants lordship over every area of our lives. We have too many folks that are cafeteria Christians. They go through the line and they pick what they want and they say, okay, we'll give you that, Jesus. But there are some things that we want to keep on our plate. There are some things we'd like to keep control over. But that is not the type of believer Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking for believers who will submit everything about themselves, everything about themselves to him. I've heard it said so many times by some of my fellow brothers in the ministry that Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You have to submit everything and who you are. He can't be just the Lord of your church life, the Lord of your spiritual life. Can you imagine, think about how we compartmentalize all these things. We have a spiritual life, our Bible study, our prayer, our disciplines. Then we have our work life. We go to work and we do these things. We are in the office. We're in the uh, work context, whatever else, classroom. We have our work life. And then we have our family life. In our family life, we enjoy, we, we have different um, difficulties there and also different joys that we have. So notice how we always talk about family life, work life, church life, spiritual life. No. Jesus is not in to the compartmentalizing of our lives. He wants us to bring everything about our life to him. So listen again to what James says. Submit to God. How simple, how clear, how difficult for us as believers. Submit to God. He says, that's rule number one. That's the imperative for you, for you to submit. Let, let me just say this. I guarantee you in a group of this number that there are some of us tonight that have certain areas that we need to submit to the Lordship of Christ. We're saved. Positionally, we're saved. I said this morning, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. You are his child. But there are areas of fellowship that we need to reconnect in our relationship with God. And it begins by submitting, submitting everything to him. He wants all of us. That is sometimes the frustration I find with cultural Christianity. I just threw it out there, didn't I? That wasn't in my initial notes. I didn't bring notes with me to the pulpit, so that might be the reason, okay? I am grateful to live in a place like Ruston, Louisiana. The best peaches in the world. I always tell people, if you only had a Ruston peach, love Ruston. But church life, Christ himself, it's not just a part of who we are. It's gotta, he's got to be all that we are. It's not just about, oh, I've come to church and I've given him a little bit here. I've given him so many hours a week. Hey, you're a Sunday night people. You're like, oh, look at this. I gave him Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'll probably be back Wednesday night, at least for the meal. 
That's great. I applaud you. Jesus is not in just a few hours of your week. He wants your whole week. He wants all who you are. So you submit to God. Submit all areas. I think there are some of us in this place that probably need to submit some stuff to the Lordship of Jesus. Oh, he's Lord. Let, let me say this. May, may I back up just a minute? It doesn't matter whether or not you decide he's Lord or not. He is Lord. I mean, we confess he's Lord, but it really wouldn't matter if you confessed it or not. One of these days, the scriptures teaches us that he's going to come back and demonstrate his Lordship. That even those who did not confess him will bow their knee and they will speak with their tongue the Lordship of Jesus. So it's not a, whether or not it's a reality. It is a reality. It's whether you are willing to submit to that lordship. Submit to God. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. There was a preacher I was listening to this morning. did a marvelous job about an enemy that we all face. I don't know if you all heard it or not. I know you're here on Sunday mornings. But there was this young guy, very dynamic, talked about from the book of Esther um, that we all have enemies and our enemy ultimately is God's enemy because God's enemy is against the kingdom and that enemy is I think Satan the devil the adversary the slanderer that's who he is And, and he's not some impersonal force he is a personal being and he stands against God's kingdom now he has his own uh, he has his own army, and those demonic forces try to tempt us and impact us. He is not all present, he is not all powerful, only our God is like that, but he will do everything he can to trip us up. So what he says is resist the devil. Now earlier in this chapter, because again, trying to put it in context, he had said. Where are all these wars and conflicts coming within the church? It's basically coming from within. It's basically coming because you have your own selfish ambitions and also because you have the wrong relationship with the world. But all of that has come because of Satan's temptation in our lives. So he says, resist the devil. You have the power in your life to resist the devil. Now, I will tell you, there are times you ought to run. Paul says that, right? Get out. Don't put yourself in situations. But I do believe that if temptation comes to us, we have the power to reject that temptation through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a revolutionary message. You and I have the power to say no to temptation. I say it's revolutionary because it seems like culture says, no, 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 no. You can't. You can't. You can't resist that. I mean, it's too powerful. Those things that come. No, 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 no. Did you remember who lives within you? It is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit that had the power to move forward the disciples into the mission of Christ. The Holy Spirit who came upon them in such a way that they went out with tremendous boldness in the midst of all types of hostility. They had tremendous boldness and they spoke the word of Christ. They faced persecution. They faced death itself. Why did they do that? 
because of Jesus and his message. How could they do that? Because the Holy Spirit had indwelled them. And that same power of the Holy Spirit lives within us. And he gives us what we need. Now, I will admit to you, you can't resist the devil on your own. You can't. But through the power of the Holy Spirit working within you, you can resist the devil. And get this. He has to run away when he sees the Spirit of God active in your life. This is what James says. If you'll resist him, he'll flee from you. The power of Jesus in the temptations, as he quoted the scriptures, he sought to follow the Father in his will, and Satan would remove himself from Jesus. For a time, I understand he'll come back. He keeps running back to us with different temptations. But you and I have the power to resist the devil. Look at verse 8. And I think all of this begins to come clear and complement the first imperative of submitting to God. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Beautiful, beautiful phrase. A beautiful truth. All you got to do is come toward Jesus. He come to you. He's there. You know what? As a matter of fact, he made the first move, right? When God sent his son to us, he took the initiative to do what we could not do. I love the image that's been given so many times of the mountain and how you and I could never climb the mountain high enough to reach God. So what did God do? He came down the mountain. He sent Jesus for us. And the idea is that if we draw near to him, hey, we make a step toward him, he'll come to us. Draw near to him. When you submit your life, draw near to him. Again, positionally, many of us in this place, we're fine. We know that we're believers. We know that we are in Christ. Positionally, you cannot change that. But fellowship-wise... Hey, there's some of us in this place tonight that could say we're not in the same intimate relationship with God that we once were. Oh, he loves us and I'm still his child, but fellowship wise, it's not the same. Draw near to him. Come back. When you come back, you will find him with open and loving arms. He will draw near. To you. And that fellowship can be restored. I love seeing a relationship restored. I love it. When I see a, when I see a, a husband-wife relationship restored, it is time to celebrate. When I see a father-son relationship restored or a mother-daughter relationship, it is incredible. How about when the relationship is restored between the child of God and the Father himself? Draw near. Come on. Come back to him. If you come back to him, he'll come to you. If you make that first step, he will draw near to you. Hey, those of us saved, let's just take that for a moment. Those of us who've been saved in this place... Do you remember, most of us probably were saved in this type of setting in a Baptist church. Most likely, I would, I would say most of us in this place. 
Just shake your head if you're if you agree, if you're awake. It's amazing to see how many of you all sleep through these kinds of things, but you think I can't see you. I can see you. <laughs> hey, those of us who are saved in these types of settings, do you remember? I, I remember. I remember how difficult it was to take the first step out of the pew. It was. It was tough because I was going to be in front of everybody. But once I took that first step, it was like God was right there drawing me and taking a step to me. You know, the, the aisle wasn't as long as I thought it was. And to be honest, back then, I grew up in a small church. This was a long, long aisle. But I took that step and it was like he was there. And that's still the case today. As a believer, he's never really walked away. I'm the one who walked away. But if I turn back, he is there. James says, very practically, submit to him. It's just kind of like the little instruction on the wall, right? Submit to him. Resist the devil. Draw near to him. Draw near to you. And then, perhaps in that drawing near, cleanse your hands. You sinner. The idea is to repent of that immoral activity of your life. Just cleanse your hands. Again, I know we sang it a moment ago. We've been cleansed because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. His sacrifice was sufficient upon Calvary. I believe all of that. But again, it's not about position. It's about fellowship. So when I come to him and I cleanse my hands... Notice it says, purify my heart. That when I'm doing that, it is an act of repentance that will restore the fellowship that I so desperately need with him. He says, cleanse your actions, purify your thoughts. So again, notice the Lordship here. He's the Lord of your activities. But he's also the Lord of your thoughts. You have to subject your thought life to him. Subject your mind to him. Subject your activities to him. And then you are able to come in repentance. And then verse 9. This is the verse that should be on all church signs, right? Lament and mourn and weep. Dale, I think you're going to look at chapter 5 later on or so. And it's going to talk again about weeping and wailing. It says, he says, you need to mourn, you need to lament, you need to weep. Now, I know some of you are looking at me, especially after that last part of the verse where it says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. You're going to say, Brother Reggie, Dr. Reggie, he just said this morning we ought to have joy in our lives. Come on. You say we ought, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Last week in Wednesday night service, Nehemiah had said that they were to have joy. I believe we ought to have joy. I believe we ought to have we ought to delight in him in all that we are. But there is a time for every expression, a time for every season, right? The way you truly have joy is that you have come and restored your relationship with him. And the way you truly restore your relationship in, with him is repentance. Of truly being sorry for what you've done. Not for getting caught for what you've done. 
but repenting of what you have done. And I, I said, you know, that's not something we put out on a sign. Could you imagine? Come to Temple Baptist Church. We'll make you lament, mourn, and weep. You know? It's not something we go out and advertise because it's not something that is very pleasant for us to even think about. But may I say what I said last Wednesday? It is so necessary. It may not always be pleasant, but it is necessary to deal with the sin in our lives. And I'm going to be quite frank. There are times we need to fall before God on our face. And weep and mourn and lament for what we have done. Because we have injured our fellowship with God. Because we have taken for granted His Lordship. Because we have tried to control things instead of allowing Him the necessary recognition and control in our lives. I will say to you that after the fact, it's not pleasant during... Listen... I have never, ever found it just pleasant during the moment of repentance, of confession. But after the fact of knowing that I could be restored, there is joy. I will tell you that the hope of the church today in some way lies in verse 9. We can complain about the White House. We can complain even about the church house. We can complain about our own family houses. But I'm going to tell you, until we deal with our individual house, nothing else is going to change. And it begins with us, our repentance before God. We can expect the nation to repent, but we should not expect the nation to repent if we're not willing to repent. And can we be honest? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs a good dose of repentance these days. And I'm talking about us as individuals. That we lament and we mourn and we weep for how we have allowed pride to infect our hearts how we have taken confidence in the wrong things and how our selfishness has so absorbed us as people. Lament, mourn, weep. Take a moment to allow your joy and your false delight to be turned into mourning. And verse 10 sums it up, doesn't it? Humble yourself. (laughs) Humility. You got to humble yourself. You got to be willing to come before him and say, hey, God, I ain't got all this figured out. God, to be honest, I ain't got much figured out. God, I'm sorry. You want to talk about humility? Those three words, I am sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I place myself under your lordship again. Lord, I, I, I know that I'm saved. I know that. But God, I come to you and I, I put everything on the table right, right before you. You direct me. You guide me. Lord, there's some areas of my, lives, of my life that I need to repent of. And I don't know about you, 
But I've done more repenting since I've been a Christian than even that initial moment where I became a Christian. Because the more I've grown in him, the more I've recognized that I've fallen short of the glory of God. And I need him more and more. God, I cleanse my hands. Lord, I purify my thoughts. Lord, I draw near to you so that you would draw near to me. Lord, I humble myself. And what's that truth I taught a couple weeks ago? I love the way all of this is working together, by the way. Couldn't have planned it better. You know why? Because I didn't. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Remember what I said that truth was? Exalt yourself and what will God do? He'll humble you. Humble yourself and what will God do? He will exalt you. When you mourn and you weep, he brings laughter and joy. When you humble yourself, he brings exaltation. When you submit yourself, he brings true life. He brings purpose. He brings plans. So tonight, I want you just for a moment to look at the classroom wall. Listen to what James says, practically. doesn't get more practical than this. He says, this is how you can address some things in your life. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Do that by cleansing your hands and purifying your hearts. Lament, mourn, and weep. Humble yourself before him. You don't think that will radically change your life and the life of the church and the life of a community? Would we hear what he had to say? And even this Sunday night, would we submit ourselves to him in every way possible? Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you. For your clear instructions. And God I say again. I know many of us are saved in this place. Maybe not all. Lord I would never assume. That everybody in this place. Had truly committed their lives to you. So first I do pray that you would. Save those that may be lost in this place. But Lord for those many of us. Who are saved. Get a hold of us right now. Lord grip our hearts. Lord, speak to us this practical truth. And tonight in this place, whether we do it physically or spiritually, whatever, Lord, may we draw near to you. Submit to your Lordship. Oh, by the way, Lord, we know that we can only resist the devil by first submitting to you. So, Lord, we, we want to submit to you tonight. Cleanse us, purify us, help us to cry out to you, whether it's here at this altar in our seats, even as we go home tonight, before we lay down to sleep, Lord, may we do a little business with you. And may we make these things right so that we can enjoy that intimate, loving relationship you want to have with us. We pray it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?